So we begin week 38 at day 260. We continue through Ezra, Zechariah and a few of the Psalms, but we begin at Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16 to 23. These are the things you must do. Speak truth to one another. Render honest and peaceful judgments in your gates. Do not plot evil in your heart against your neighbour, and do not love perjury, for I hate all this. The Lord's Declaration Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. The Lord of hosts says this, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth will become times of joy, gladness, and cheerful festivals for the house of Judah. Therefore love truth and peace. The Lord of hosts says this, Peoples will yet come, the residents of many cities. The residents of one city will go to another, saying, Let's go at once to plead for the Lord's favour and to seek the Lord of hosts. I am also going. Many peoples and strong nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to plead for the Lord's favour. The Lord of hosts says this, In those days ten men from nations of every language will grab the robe of a Jewish man tightly, urging, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And then Ezra chapter 6, verse 15 to 22. This house was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the Israelites, including the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles, celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. For the dedication of God's house they offered 100 bulls, 200 rams, and 400 lambs, as well as 12 male goats as a sin offering for all Israel, one for each Israelite tribe. They also appointed the priests by their divisions and the Levites by their groups to the service of God in Jerusalem, according to what is written in the book of Moses. The exiles observed the Passover in the fourteenth day of the first month. All the priests and Levites were ceremonially clean because they had purified themselves. They killed the Passover lamb for themselves, their priestly brothers and all the exiles. The Israelites who had returned from exile ate it, together with all who had separated themselves from the uncleanness of the Gentiles of the land in order to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. They observed the festival of unleavened bread for seven days with joy, because the Lord had made them joyful, having changed the Assyrian king's attitude toward them, so that he supported them in the work in the house of the God of Israel. Then we read Psalm 146, verse 1 to 10. Hallelujah! My soul praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. Do not trust in nobles, in man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day his plans die. Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects foreigners and helps the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God, reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. Then Psalm 111, verse 1 to 10. Hallelujah. I will praise the Lord with all my heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The Lord's works are great, studied by all who delight in them. All that he does is splendid and majestic. His righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has provided food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. 
He has shown his people the power of his works by giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his instructions are trustworthy. They are established for ever and ever, enacted in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. His name is holy and awe-inspiring. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his instructions have good insight. His praise endures forever. Then Psalm 112, verse 1 to 10. Hallelujah! Happy is the man who fears the Lord, taking great delight in his commandments. His descendants will be powerful in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light shines in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. Good will come to a man who lends generously and conducts his business fairly. He will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear bad news. His heart is confident, trusting in the Lord. His heart is assured he will not fear. In the end he will look in triumph on his foes. He distributes freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honour. The wicked man will see it and be angry. He will gnash his teeth in despair. The desire of the wicked will come to nothing. And Psalm 113 verse 1 to 9. Hallelujah! Give praise, servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, let the name of the Lord be praised. The Lord is exalted above all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the garbage pile, in order to seat them with nobles, with the nobles of his people. He gives the childless woman a household, making her the joyful mother of children. Hallelujah! And Psalm 116, verse 1 to 19. I love the Lord because he has heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. The ropes of death were wrapped around me, and the torments of Sheol overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. Then I called in the name of the Lord, Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous, our God is compassionate. The Lord guards the inexperienced. I was helpless, and he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, rescued me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I said I am severely afflicted. In my alarm I said everyone is a liar. How can I repay the Lord all the good he has done for me? I will take the cup of salvation and worship the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. Lord, I am indeed your servant. I am your servant, the son of your female servant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and will worship the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the very presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house within you, Jerusalem. Hallelujah. And Psalm 117, verse 1 to 2. Praise the Lord, all nations. Glorify him, all peoples, for great is his faithful love to us. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Hallelujah. And then we read Zechariah chapter 9, verse 1 to 17 to finish today.
an oracle. The word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach, and Damascus is its resting place. For the eyes of men and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord, and also against Hamath, which borders it, as well as Tyre and Sidon, though they are very shrewd. Tyre has built herself a fortress. She has heaped up silver like dust and gold like the dirt of the streets. Listen, the Lord will impoverish her and cast her wealth into the sea. She herself will be consumed by fire. Ashkelon will see it and be afraid, Gaza too, and will writhe in great pain, as will Ekron, for her hope will fail. There will cease to be a king in Gaza, and Eshkelon will become uninhabited. A mongrel people will live in Ashdod, and I will destroy the pride of the Philistines. I will remove the blood from their mouths and the detestable things from between their teeth. Then they too will become a remnant for our God. They will become like a clan in Judah, and Ekron like the Jesubites. I will set up my camp at my house against an army, against those who march back and forth, and no oppressor will march against them again. For now I have seen with my own eyes. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The bow of war will be removed and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of your covenant, I will release your prisoners from the waterless cistern. Return to a stronghold, you prisoners who have hope. Today I declare that I will restore double to you. For I will bend Judah as my bow, I will fill that bow with Ephraim. I will rise your sons, Zion, against your sons, Greece. I will make you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will fly like lightning." The Lord God will sound the trumpet and advance with the southern storms. The Lord of hosts will defend them. They will consume and conquer with sling stones. They will drink and be rowdy as if with wine. They will be as full as the sprinkling basin like those at the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save them on that day as a flock of his people, for they are like jewels in a crown sparkling over his land. How lovely and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men flourish, and new wine the young woman. And there we end, day 260. Day 261, and we read through Zechariah chronologically from chapter 10, verse 1, through to chapter 14, verse 21. Ask the Lord for rain in the season of spring rain. The Lord makes the rain clouds, and he will give them showers of rain and crops in the field for everyone. For the idols speak falsehood and the diviners see illusions. They relate empty dreams and offer empty comfort. Therefore the people wander like sheep. They suffer affliction because there is no shepherd. My anger burns against the shepherd, so I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts has tended his flock, the house of Judah. He will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From them will come the cornerstone, from them the tent peg, from them the battle bow, from them every ruler... Together they will be like warriors in battle, trampling down the mud on the streets. They will fight because the Lord is with them, and they will put horsemen to shame. I will strengthen the house of Judah and deliver the house of Joseph. I will restore them because I have compassion on them, and they will be as though I never had rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Ephraim will be like a warrior, and their hearts will be glad as if with wine." 
Their children will see it and be glad. Their hearts will rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle and gather them because I have redeemed them. They will be as numerous as they once were. Though I sow them among the nations, they will remember me in the distant lands. They and their children will live and return. I will bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon, but it will not be enough for them. He will pass through the sea of distress and strike the waves of the sea. All the depths of the Nile will dry up. The pride of Assyria will be brought down and the scepter of Egypt will come to an end. I will strengthen them in the Lord and they will march in his name. This is Yahweh's declaration. Open your gates, Lebanon, and fire will consume your cedars. Wail, cypress, for the cedar has fallen. The glorious trees are destroyed. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the stately forest has fallen. Listen to the wheels of the shepherds, for their glory is destroyed. Listen to the roar of young lions, for the thickets of the Jordan are destroyed. The Lord my God says this, Shepherd the flock intended for slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them, but are not punished. Those who sell them say, Praise the Lord, because I have become rich. Even their own shepherds have no compassion for them. Indeed, I will no longer have compassion on the inhabitants of the land. The Lord's declaration. Instead, I will turn everyone over to his neighbor and his king. They will devastate the land, and I will not deliver it from them. So I shepherded the flock intended for slaughter the afflicted of the flock. I took two staffs, calling one favor and the other union, and I shepherded the flock. In one month I got rid of three shepherds. I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. Then I said, I will no longer shepherd you. Let what is dying die, and let what is going astray go astray. Let the rest devour each other's flesh. Next I took my staff called Favor and cut it in two, annulling the covenant I had made with all the peoples. It was annulled on that day, and so the afflicted of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, If it seems right to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. So they weighed my wages, thirty pieces of silver. I throw it to the potter, the Lord said to me, this magnificent price I was valued by them. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw it into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I cut in two my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. The Lord also said to me, Take the equipment of a foolish shepherd. I am about to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are going astray, and he will not seek the lost or heal the broken. He will not sustain the healthy, but he will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May a sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm wither away and his right eye go completely blind. An oracle. The word of the Lord concerning Israel. A declaration of the Lord who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundation of the earth, and formed the spirit of man within him. Look, I will make Jerusalem a cup that causes staggering for the peoples who surround the city. The siege against Jerusalem will also involve Judah. On that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who try to lift it will injure themselves severely when all the nations of the earth gather against her. On that day, the Lord's declaration... I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. I will keep a watchful eye on the house of Judah, but strike all the horses of the nations with blindness. Then each of the leaders of Judah will think to himself, The residents of Jerusalem are my strength through the Lord of hosts their God. 
On that day I will make the leaders of Judah like a firepot in a woodpile, like a flaming torch among sheaves. They will consume all the peoples around them on the right and the left, while Jerusalem continues to be inhabited on its site in Jerusalem. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of David's house and the glory of Jerusalem's residence may not be greater than that of Judah. On that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the one who is weakest among them will be like David on that day, and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. On that day I will set out to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Then I will pour out a spread of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. On that day the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning of Hadad-Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn, every family by itself, the family of David's house by itself and their women by themselves, the family of Nathan's house and by itself and their women by themselves, the family of Levi's house by itself and their women by themselves, the family of Shemai by itself and their women by themselves, all the remaining families, every family by itself and their women by themselves. On that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. On that day, the declaration of the Lord of hosts, I will erase the names of the idols from the land and they will no longer be remembered. I will remove the prophets and the unclean spirit from the land. If a man still prophesies, his father and his mother who bore him will say to him, You cannot remain alive because you have spoken falsely in the name of the Lord. When he prophesies, his father and his mother who bore him will pierce him through. On that day every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. They will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive. He will say, I am not a prophet, I am a tiller of the soil, for a man purchased me as a servant since my youth. If someone asks him, What are these wounds on your chest? Then he will answer, The wounds I received in the house of my friends. Sword awake against my shepherd, against the man who is my associate, the declaration of the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will also turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, the Lord's declaration, two-thirds will be cut off and die, but a third will be left in it. I will put this third through the fire, I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided in your presence. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem for battle. The city will be captured, the houses looted, and the women raped. Half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be removed from the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley so that half the mountain will move to the north and half to the south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for the valley of the mountains will extend to Azal. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day there will be no light. The sunlight and moonlight will diminish. It will be a day known only to Yahweh without day or night, but there will be light at evening. On that day living water will flow out from Jerusalem. 
half of it toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea, in summer and winter alike. On that day Yahweh will become king over all the earth, Yahweh alone and his name alone. All the land from Geba to Rimmon south of Jerusalem will be changed into a plain. But Jerusalem will be raised up and will remain on its site from the Benjamin Gate to the place of the first gate, to the corner gate and from the Tower of Hananel to the royal wine presses. People will live there and never again will there be a curse of destruction. So Jerusalem will dwell in security. This will be the plague the Lord strikes all the peoples with, who have warred against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet, their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day a great panic from the Lord will be among them, so that each will seize the hand of another and the hand of one who will rise against the other. Judah will also fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected, gold, silver, and clothing in great abundance. The same plague as the previous one will strike the horses, mules, camels, donkeys, and all the animals that are in those camps. Then all the survivors from the nations that came against Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of Hosts, and to celebrate the Festival of Booths. Should any of the families of the earth not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of Hosts, rain will not fall on them. And if the people of Egypt will not go up and enter, then rain will not fall on them. This will be the plague the Lord inflicts on the nations who do not go up to celebrate the festival of booths. This will be the punishment of Egypt and all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the festival of booths. On that day the words, Holy to the Lord, will be on the bells of the horses. The pots in the house of the Lord will be like the sprinkling basins before the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices will come and take some of the pots to cook in, and on that day there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. And there we end, day 261. Day 262, and today we read through the book of Esther, from chapter 1, verse 1, through to chapter 3, verse 11. These events took place during the days of Ahasuerus, who ruled 127 provinces from India to Kush. In those days the king reigned from his royal throne in the fortress at Susa. He held a feast in the third year of his reign for all his officials and staff, the army of Persia and Media, the nobles and the officials from the provinces. He displayed the glorious wealth of his kingdom and the magnificent splendour of his greatness for a total of 180 days. At the end of this time, the king held a week-long banquet in the garden courtyard of the royal palace for all the people, from the greatest to the least, who were present in the fortress of Susa. White and violet linen hangings were fastened with fine white and purple linen cords to silver rods on marble columns. Gold and silver couches were arranged on a mosaic pavement of red felspar, marble, mother-of-pearl and precious stones. Beverages were served in an array of gold goblets, each with a different design. Royal wine flowed freely according to the king's bounty and no restraint was placed in the, on the drinking. The king had ordered every wine steward in his household to serve as much as each person wanted. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the woman of King Ahasuerus' palace. On the seventh day, when the king was feeling good from the wine, Ahasuerus commanded Mehumam, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abka, Zethar and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who personally served him, to bring Queen Vashti before him with her royal crown. 
He wanted to show off her beauty to the people and the officials, because she was very beautiful. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command that was delivered by his eunuchs. The king became furious, and his anger burned within him. The king consulted the wise men who understood the times, for it was his normal procedure to confer with experts in law and justice. The most trusted ones were Karshana, Sheshtar, Admatha, Tarshish, Merez, Marsina and Mimkan. They were the seven officials of Persia and Media who had personal access to the king and occupied the highest positions in the kingdom. The king asked, According to the law, what should be done with Queen Vashti since she refused to obey King Ahasuerus' command that was delivered by the eunuchs? Memukan said in the presence of the king and his officials, Queen Vashti has defied not only the king but all the officials and the peoples who are in every one of King Ahasuerus' provinces, for the queen's actions will become public knowledge to all the women and cause them to despise their husbands and say, King Ahasuerus ordered Queen Vashti brought before him, but she did not come. Before this day is over, the noble women of Persia and Media who hear about the Queen's act will say the same thing to all the king's officials, resulting in more contempt and fury. If it meets the king's approval, he should personally issue a royal decree. Let it be recorded in the laws of Persia and Media, so that it cannot be revoked. Vashti is not to enter King Ahasuerus' presence, and her royal position is to be given to another woman who is more worthy than she. The decree the king issues will be heard throughout his vast kingdom, so all women will honour their husbands from the least to the greatest. The king and his counsellors approved the proposal, and he followed Memukan's advice. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to each province in its own script, and to each ethnic group in its own language, that every man should be master of his own house and speak in the language of his own people. Some time later, when King Ahasuerus' rage had cooled down, he remembered Vashti, what she had done and what was decided against her. The king's personal attendant suggested, Let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in each province of his kingdom, so that they may assemble all the beautiful young virgins to the harem at the fortress of Susa. Put them under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the woman, and give them the required beauty treatments. Then the young woman who pleases the king will reign in place of Vashti. This suggestion pleased the king, and he did accordingly. A Jewish man was in the fortress of Susa named Mordecai, son of Jair, son of Shemai, son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Mordecai was the legal guardian of his cousin Hadassah, that is, Esther, because she didn't have a father or mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was extremely good-looking. When her father and mother died, Mordecai had adopted her as his own daughter. When the king's command and edict became public knowledge, many young women gathered at the fortress of Susa under Hegai's care. Esther was also taken to the palace and placed under the care of Hegai, who was in charge of the woman. The young woman pleased him and gained his favour so that he accelerated the process of the beauty treatments and the special diet that she received. He assigned seven hand-picked female servants to her from the palace and transferred her and her servants to the harem's best quarters. Esther did not reveal her ethnic background or her birthplace, because Mordecai had ordered her not to. Every day Mordecai took a walk in front of the harem's courtyard to learn how Esther was doing and to see what was happening to her. During the year before each young woman's turn to go to King Ahasuerus, the harem regulation required her to receive beauty treatments with oil of myrrh for six months, and then with perfumes and cosmetics for another six months. 
When the young woman would go to the king, she was given whatever she requested to take with her from the harem to the palace. She would go in the evening, and in the morning she would return to a second harem under the supervision of Shagshkaz, the king's eunuch in charge of the concubines. She never went to the king again unless he desired her and summoned her by name. Esther was the daughter of Abahal, the uncle of Mordecai, who had adopted her as his own daughter. When her turn came to go to the king, she did not ask for anything except what Haggai, the king's trusted official in charge of the harem, suggested. Esther won approval in the sight of everyone who saw her. Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus in the royal palace in the tenth month, the month to Beth, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the other women. She won more favour and approval from him than did any of the other virgins. He placed the royal crown on her head and made her queen in place of Vashti. The king held a great banquet for all his officials and staff. It was Esther's banquet. He freed his provinces from tax payments and gave gifts worthy of the king's bounty. When the young women were assembled together for a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther still had not revealed her birthplace or her ethnic background, as Mordecai had directed. She obeyed Mordecai's orders as she always had while he raised her. During those days while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two eunuchs who guarded the king's entrance, became infuriated and tried to assassinate King Ahasuerus. When Mordecai learned of the plot, he reported it to Queen Esther, and she told the king on Mordecai's behalf. When the report was investigated and verified, both men were hanged in the gallows. This event was recorded in the court records of daily events in the king's presence. After all this took place, King Ahasuerus honoured Haman, son of Hamathda, the Agathite. He promoted him in rank and gave him a higher position than all the other officials. The entire royal staff at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, because the king had commanded this to be done for him. But Mordecai would not bow down or pay homage. The members of the royal staff at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you disobeying the king's command? When they had warned him day after day and he still would not listen to them, they told Haman to see if Mordecai's actions would be tolerated, since he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai was not bowing down or paying homage to him, he was filled with rage. And when he learned of Mordecai's ethnic identity, Haman decided not to do away with Mordecai alone. He set out to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout Ahasuerus' kingdom. In the first month, the month of Nisan, in King Ahasuerus' twelfth year, Pur, that is the lot, was cast before Haman for each day and each month, and it fell on the twelfth month, the month Adar. Then Haman informed King Ahasuerus, There is one ethnic group, scattered throughout the peoples in every province of your kingdom, yet living in isolation. Their laws are different from everyone else's, so that they defy the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If the king approves, let an order be drawn up authorising their destruction, and I will pay 375 tons of silver to the accountants for deposit in the royal treasury. The king removed his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agathite, the enemy of the Jewish people. Then the king told Haman, The money and people are given to you, to do with as you see fit. And there we end, day 262. Day 263, and we continue through Esther from chapter 3, verse 12, to chapter 7, verse 10. 
The royal scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month, and an order was written exactly as Haman commanded. It was intended for the royal satraps, the governors of each of the provinces, and the officials of each ethnic group and written for each province in its own script and to each ethnic group in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the royal signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to each of the royal provinces telling the officials to destroy, kill and annihilate all the Jewish people, young and old women and children, and plunder their possessions on a single day, the thirteenth day of Adar, the twelfth month. A copy of the text issued as law throughout every province was distributed to all the peoples so that they might get ready for that day. The couriers left, spurred on by royal command, and the law was issued in the fortress of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink while the city of Susa was in confusion. When Mordecai learned all that had occurred, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. He only went as far as the king's gate, since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. There was great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict came. They fasted, wept and lamented, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Esther's female servants and her eunuchs came and reported the news to her, and the queen was overcome with fear. She sent clothes for Mordecai to wear so that he could take off his sackcloth, but he did not accept them. Esther summoned Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to her, and dispatched him to Mordecai to learn what he was doing and why. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, ordering their destruction, so that Hathach might show it to Esther, explain it to her and instruct her to approach the king, implore his favour and plead with him personally for her people. Hathach came and reported Mordecai's response to Esther, Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to tell Mordecai, All the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned, the death penalty. Only if the king extends the golden scepter will that person live. I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last thirty days. Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people, but from another place. But you and your father's house will be destroyed. Who knows, perhaps you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night and day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that I will go to the king even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had ordered him. On the third day Esther dressed up in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its entrance. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, she won his approval. The king extended the golden scepter in his hand toward Esther, and she approached and touched the tip of the scepter. 
"'What is it, Queen Esther?' the king asked her. "'Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom, will be given to you.' "'If it pleases the king,' Esther replied, "'may the king and Haman come today to the banquet I have prepared for them.' The king commanded, "'Hurry and get Haman, so we can do as Esther has requested.' So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. While drinking the wine, the king asked Esther, "'Whatever you ask will be given to you. "'Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom, will be done.' Esther answered, This is my petition and my request. If the king approves of me, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and perform my request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet I will prepare for them. Tomorrow I will do what the king has asked. That day Haman left full of joy and in good spirits. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble in fear at his presence, Haman was filled with rage toward Mordecai. Yet Haman controlled himself and went home. He sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh to join them. Then Haman described for them his glorious wealth and his many sons. He told them all how the king had promoted him in rank and given him a high position over the other officials in the royal staff. What's more, Haman added, Queen Esther invited no one but me to join the king at the banquet she had prepared. I am invited again tomorrow to join her with the king. Still none of this satisfies me since I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate all the time. His wife Zeresh and all his friends told him, Have them build a gallows seventy-five feet high. Ask the king in the morning to hang Mordecai on it. Then go to the banquet with the king and enjoy yourself. The advice pleased to man so he had the gallows constructed. That night's sleep escaped the king so he ordered the book recording daily events to be brought and read to the king. They found the written report of how Mordecai had informed on Begathana and Teresh, two eunuchs who guarded the king's entrance, when they planned to assassinate King Ahasuerus. The king inquired, What honour and special recognition have been given to Mordecai for this act? The king's personal attendants replied, Nothing has been done for him. The king asked, Who's in the court? Now Haman was just entering the outer court of the palace to ask the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows he had prepared for him. The king's attendants answered him, See, Haman is standing in the court. Have him enter, the king ordered. Haman entered and the king asked him, What should be done for the man the king wants to honour? Haman thought to himself, Who is it the king would want to honour more than me? Haman told the king, For the man the king wants to honour, have them bring a royal garment that the king himself has worn and a horse the king himself has ridden, which has a royal diadem on its head. Put the garment and the horse under the charge of one of the king's most noble officials. Have them clothe the man the king wants to honour, parade him on the horse through the city square, and proclaim before him, This is what is done for the man the king wants to honour. The king told Haman, Hurry and do just as you proposed. Take a garment and a horse for Mordecai the Jew who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not leave out anything you have suggested. So Haman took the garment and the horse. He clothed Mordecai and paraded him through the city square, crying out before him, This is what is done for the man the king wants to honour. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman, overwhelmed, hurried off home with his head covered. Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened. His advisers and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is Jewish, you will not overcome him, because your downfall is certain. While they were still speaking with him, the eunuchs of the king arrived and rushed Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. 
The king and Haman came to the feast with Esther the queen. Once again on the second day while drinking wine, the king asked Esther, Queen Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you seek, even to half the kingdom, will be done. Queen Esther answered, If I have obtained your approval, my king, and if the king is pleased, spare my life. This is my request, and spare my people. This is my desire. For my people and I have been sold out to destruction, death, and extermination. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept silent. Indeed, the trouble wouldn't be worth burdening the king. King Ahasuerus spoke up and asked Queen Esther, Who is this, and where is the one who would devise such a scheme? Esther answered, The adversary and enemy is this evil Haman. Haman stood terrified before the king and queen. Angered by this, the king arose from where they were drinking wine and went to the palace garden. Haman remained to beg Queen Esther for his life because he realised the king was planning something terrible for him. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the house of wine-drinking, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Would he actually violate the queen while I am in the palace? As soon as this statement left the king's mouth, Haman's face was covered. Harbona, one of the royal eunuchs, said, There is a gallows seventy-five feet tall at Haman's house that he made for Mordecai, who gave the report that saved the king. The king commanded, Hang him on it. They hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's anger subsided. There we end, day 263. Day 264, and we continue through Esther, and then we go back into Ezra. But begin at uh, Esther chapter 8, verse 1, and finish Esther in chapter 10, verse 3. That same day, King Ahasuerus awarded Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, Mordecai entered the king's presence because Esther had revealed her relationship to Mordecai. The king removed his signet ring he had recovered from Haman and gave it to Mordecai and Esther put him in charge of Haman's estate. Then Esther addressed the king again. She fell at his feet, wept and begged him to revoke the evil of Haman the Agathite and his plot that he had devised against the Jews. The king extended the golden scepter toward Esther so she got up and stood before the king. She said, If it pleases the king and I have found approval before him, if the matter seems right to the king and I am pleasing in his sight, let a royal edict be written. Let it revoke the documents the scheming command son of Hamadatha the Agathite wrote to destroy the Jews who reside in all the king's provinces. For how could I bear to see the evil that would come on my people? How could I bear to see the destruction of my relatives? King Ahasuerus said to Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Look, I have given Haman's estate to Esther, and he was hanged on the gallows because he attacked the Jews. You may write in the king's name whatever pleases you concerning the Jews and seal it with the royal signet ring. A document written in the king's name and sealed with the royal signet ring cannot be revoked. On the twenty-third day of the third month, that is, a month Sivan, the royal scribes were summoned. Everything was written exactly as Mordecai ordered for the Jews, to the satraps, the governors, and the officials of the 127 provinces from India to Kush. The edict was written for each province in its own script, for each ethnic group in its own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in King Ahasuerus' name and sealed the edicts with the royal signet ring. He sent the documents by mounted couriers who rode fast horses bred from the royal racing mares. 
The king's edict gave the Jews in each and every city the right to assemble and defend themselves, to destroy, kill and annihilate every ethnic and provincial army hostile to them, including women and children, and to take their possessions as spoils of war. This would take place in a single day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, the month Adar. A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province. It was to be published for every ethnic group so the Jews could be ready to avenge themselves against their enemies on that day. On their royal horses the couriers rode out in haste at the king's urgent command. The law was also issued in the fortress of Susa. Mordecai went out from the king's presence clothed in royal purple and white, with a golden crown and a purple robe of fine linen. The city of Susa shouted and rejoiced, and the Jews celebrated with gladness, joy, and honour. In every province and every city, wherever the king's command and his law reached, rejoicing and jubilation took place among the Jews. There was a celebration and a holiday, and many of the ethnic groups of the land professed themselves to be Jews, because fear of the Jews had overcome them. The king's command and law went into effect on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, the month Adar, on the day when the Jews' enemies had hoped to overpower them, just the opposite happened. The Jews overpowered those who hated them. In each of King Ahasuerus' provinces, the Jews assembled in their cities to attack those who intended to harm them. Not a single person could withstand them. Terror of them fell on every nationality. All the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors and the royal civil administrators aided the Jews because they were afraid of Mordecai. For Mordecai exercised great power in the palace, and his fame spread throughout the provinces as he became more and more powerful. The Jews put all their enemies to the sword, killing and destroying them. They did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the fortress of Susa the Jews killed and destroyed five hundred men, including Parshandatha, Dalpon, Ashpatha, Poratha, Adalai, Aradatha, Marmasha, Arasa, Arada, and Vathsatha. They killed these ten sons of Haman, son of Hamathada, the enemies of the Jews. However, they did not seize any plunder. On that day, the number of people killed in the fortress of Susa was reported to the king. The king said to Queen Esther, In the fortress of Susa, the Jews have killed and destroyed five hundred men, including Haman's ten sons. What have they done in the rest of the royal provinces? Whatever you ask will be given to you, whatever you seek will also be done. Esther answered, If it pleases the king, may the Jews who are in Susa also have tomorrow to carry out today's law, and may the bodies of a man's ten sons be hung on the gallows. The king gave the orders for this to be done, so a law was announced in Susa, and they hung the bodies of a man's ten sons. The Jews in Susa assembled again on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar and killed three hundred men in Susa, but they did not seize any plunder. The rest of the Jews in the royal provinces assembled, defended themselves and got rid of their enemies. They killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they did not seize any plunder. They fought on the 13th day of the month of Adar and rested on the 14th, and it became a day of feasting and rejoicing. But the Jews in Susa had assembled on the 13th and 14th days of the month. They rested on the fifteenth day of the month, and it became a day of feasting and rejoicing. This explains why the rural Jews who live in villages observe the fourteenth day of the month of Adar as a time of rejoicing and feasting. It is a holiday when they send gifts to one another. 
Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to all the Jews in all of the king Ahasuerus' provinces, both near and far. He ordered them to celebrate the 14th and 15th days of the month, Adar every year, because during those days the Jews got rid of their enemies. That was the month when their sorrow was turned into rejoicing and their mourning into a holiday. They were to be days of feasting, rejoicing, and of sending gifts to one another and the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the practice they had begun as Mordecai had written them to do. For Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agathite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them. He cast the purr, that is the lot, to crush and destroy them. But when the matter was brought before the king, he commanded by letter that the evil plan Haman had devised against the Jews return in his own head, and that he should be hanged with his sons in the gallows. For this reason these days are called Purim, from the word Pur. Because of all the instructions in this letter, as well as what they had witnessed, and what had happened to them, the Jews bound themselves, their descendants, and all who joined with them, to a commitment that they would not fail to celebrate these two days, each and every year according to the written instructions, and according to the time appointed. These days are remembered and celebrated by every generation, family, province, and city, so that these days of Purim would not lose their significance in Jewish life, and their memory will not fade from their descendants. Queen Esther, daughter of Abihel, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote this second letter with full authority to confirm the letter about Purim. He sent letters with messages of peace and faithfulness to all the Jews who were in the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, in order to confirm these days of Purim at their proper time, just as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had established them, and just as they had committed themselves and their descendants to the practices of fasting and lamentation. So Esther's command confirmed these customs of Purim, which were then written into the record. King Ahasuerus imposed a tax throughout the land even to the farthest shores. All of his powerful and magnificent accomplishments and the detailed account of Mordecai's great rank to which the king had promoted him. Have they not been written about in the court record of daily events of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus, famous among the Jews and highly popular with many of his relatives. He continued to seek good for his people and to speak for the welfare of all his kindred. And there we end Esther, the book of Esther, and we begin Ezra chapter 7 verse 11 to 20 to finish today. This is the text of the letter King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest and scribe, an expert in matters of the law's commandments and statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, an expert in the law of the God of heaven, greetings to you. I issue a decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including their priests and Levites, who want to go to Jerusalem may go with you. You are sent by the king and his seven counsellors to evaluate Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your possession. You are also to bring the silver and gold the king and his counsellors have willingly given to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, and all the silver and gold you receive throughout the province of Babylon, together with the freewill offerings given by the people and the priests to the house of their God in Jerusalem. Then you are to buy with this money as many bulls, rams and lambs as needed, along with their grain and drink offerings, and offer them on the altar at the house of your God in Jerusalem. You may do whatever seems best to you and your brothers, with the rest of the silver and gold according to the will of your God. 
You must deliver to the God of Jerusalem all the articles given to you for the service of the house of your God. You may use the royal treasury to pay for anything else you have to supply to meet the needs of the house of your God. And there we end, day 264. Day 265, and we continue through Ezra. We start off by reading a few verses, uh, and then we continue straight through. But we read, we read Ezra chapter 7, verse 6 to 10. Came up from Babylon, he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he requested, because the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Some of the Israelites, priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers and temple servants accompanied him to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month during the seventh year of the king. He began the journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month and arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. The gracious hand of his God was on him because Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, obey it and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. Then we read the rest of today from chapter 7, verse 21, through to chapter 9, verse 15. I, King Artaxerxes, issue a decree to all the treasurers in the region west of the Euphrates River. Whatever Ezra the priest and expert in the law of the God of heaven asks of you must be provided promptly, up to 7,500 pounds of silver, 500 bushels of wheat, 550 gallons of wine, 550 gallons of oil and salt without limit, Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven must be done diligently for the house of God in heaven, so that wrath will not fall on the realm of the king and his sons. Be advised that tribute, duty and land tax must not be imposed on any priests, Levites, singers, doorkeepers, temple servants, or any other servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to God's wisdom that you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to judge all the people in the region west of the Euphrates, who know the laws of your God, and to teach anyone who does not know them. Anyone who does not keep the law of your God and the law of the king, let a fair judgment be executed against him, whether death, banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. Praise the Lord God of our fathers, who had put it into the king's mind to glorify the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and who has shown favour to me before the king, his counsellors, and all his powerful officers, so I took courage because I was strengthened by the Lord my God, and I gathered Israelite leaders to return with me. These are the family leaders and the genealogical records of those who returned with me from Babylon during the reign of King Artaxerxes. Gershom from Phinehas's descendants, Daniel from Ithamar's descendants, Hattush from David's descendants, who was of Sheshaniah's descendants, Zechariah from Parosh's descendants, and 150 men with him who were registered by genealogy, Elahonai, son of Zerahiah, from Pahath Moab's descendants, and two hundred men with him. Sheshanai, son of Jazael, from Satu's descendants, and three hundred men with him. Ebed, son of Jonathan, from Adon's descendants, and fifty men with him. Jeshiah, son of Ataliah, from Elam's descendants, and seventy men with him. Zebediah, son of Michael, from Meshephtiah's descendants, and eighty men with him. Obadiah, son of Jehiel, from Joab's descendants, and 218 men with him. Shelomith, son of Jehoshaphat, from Bani's descendants, and 160 men with him. Zechariah, son of Babai, from Babai's descendants, and 28 men with him. Johanan, son of Hatkan, from Asgad's descendants, and 110 men with him. These are the last ones, from Edenakam's descendants, and their names are 
Elipalet, Jeul and Shemaiah, and sixty men with them. Uthai and Zakur from Big Vi's descendants and seventy men with them. I gathered them at the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there for three days. I searched among the people and priests, but found no Levites there. Then I summoned the leaders, Elizier, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jarib, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshlam, as well as the teachers Jorib and Elnathan. I sent them to Idu, the leader at Kaspai, with a message for him and his brothers, the temple servants at Kashpai, that they should bring us ministers for the house of our God. Since the gracious hand of our God was on us, they brought us Sherebiah, a man of insight from the descendants of Mahli, a descendant of Levi, son of Israel, along with his sons and brothers, eighteen men, plus Hashabiah along with Jeshiah, from the descendants of Merari, and his brothers and their sons, twenty men. There were also two hundred and twenty of the temple servants, who had been appointed by David and the leaders for the work of the Levites. All were identified by name. I proclaimed a fast by the Ahava River so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us, our children, and all our possessions. I did, it, did this because I was ashamed to ask the king for infantry and cavalry to protect us from enemies during the journey, since we had told him, The hand of our God is gracious to all who seek him, but his anger is against all who abandon him. So we fasted and pleaded with our God about this, and he granted our request. I selected twelve of the leading priests along with Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their brothers. I weighed out to them the silver, gold, and the articles, the contribution for the house of our God that the king, his counsellors, his leaders, and all the Israelites who were present had offered. I weighed out to them twenty-four tons of silver, silver articles weighing seven thousand five hundred pounds, seven thousand five hundred pounds of gold, twenty gold bowls worth one thousand gold coins, and two articles of fine gleaming bronze as valuable as gold. Then I said to them, You are holy to the Lord, and the articles are holy. The silver and gold are a freewill offering to the Lord God of your fathers. Guard them carefully until you weigh them out in the chambers of the Lord's house, before the leading priests, Levites, and heads of the Israelite families in Jerusalem. So the priests and Levites took charge of the silver, the gold, and the articles that had been weighed out, to bring them to the house of our God in Jerusalem. We set out from the Ahava River on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. We were strengthened by our God, and he protected us from the power of the enemy and from ambush along the way. So we arrived at Jerusalem and rested there for three days. On the fourth day the silver, the gold, and the articles were weighed out in the house of our God into the care of Merimoth, the priest, son of Uriah. Eliezer, son of Phinehas, was with him. The Levites Jozabad, son of Jeshua, and Nobadiah, son of Binu, were also with them. Everything was verified by number and weight, and the total weight was recorded at that time. The exiles who had returned from the captivity offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, and seventy-seven lambs, along with twelve male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering for the Lord. They also delivered the king's edict to the royal satraps and governors of the region west of the Euphrates, so that they would support the people and the house of God. After these things had been done, the leaders approached me and said, The people of Israel, the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the surrounding peoples, whose detestable practices are like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians and Amorites. 
Indeed, they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy people has become mixed with the surrounding peoples. The leaders and officials have taken the lead in this unfaithfulness. When I heard this report, I tore my tunic and robe, pulled out some of the hair from my head and beard, and sat down devastated. Everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me, because of the unfaithfulness of the exiles, while I sat devastated until the evening offering. At the evening offering, I got up from my humiliation with my tunic and robe torn. Then I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, and I said, My God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face toward you, my God, because our iniquities are higher than our heads, and our guilt is as high as the heavens. Our guilt has been terrible from the days of our fathers until the present. Because of our iniquities we have been handed over, along with our kings and priests, to the surrounding kings, and to sword, captivity, plundering, and open shame as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, grace has come from the Lord our God to preserve a remnant for us and give us a stake in his holy place. Even in our slavery God has given us new life and light to our eyes. Though we are slaves, our God has not abandoned us in our slavery. He has extended grace to us in the presence of the Persian kings, giving us new life so that we can rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Now, our God, what can we say in light of all this? For we have abandoned the commandments you gave through your servants the prophets, saying, The land you are entering to possess is an impure land. The surrounding peoples have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness by their impurity and detestable practices. So do not give your daughters to their sons in marriage or take their daughters for your sons. Never seek their peace or prosperity so that you will be strong. Eat the good things of the land and leave it as an inheritance for your sons forever. After all that has happened to us because of our evil deeds and terrible guilt, though you, our God, have punished us less than our sins deserve and have allowed us to survive, should we break your commandments again and intermarry with these peoples who commit these detestable practices? Wouldn't you become so angry with us that you would destroy us, leaving no survivors? Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we survive as a remnant today. Here we are before you with our guilt, though no one can stand in your presence because of this. And there we end. Day 265. Day 266, and we continue and finish Ezra. Uh, I think we finish Ezra. Well, we continue through Ezra from chapter 10, verse 1, to chapter 10, verse 44, before going into Nehemiah. While Ezra prayed and confessed, weeping and falling face down before the house of God, an extremely large assembly of Israelite men, women and children gathered around him. The people also wept bitterly. Then Sheshaniah son of Jehiel and Elamite responded to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the surrounding peoples, but there is still hope for Israel in spite of this. Let us therefore make a covenant before our God to send away all the foreign wives and their children, according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Get up, for this matter is your responsibility, and we support you. Be strong and take action. Then Ezra got up and made the leading priests, Levites, and all Israel take an oath to do what they had been said. So they took the oath. Ezra then went from the house of God, walked to the chamber of Jehoanan, son of Elishab, where he spent the night. He did not eat food or drink water because he was mourning over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. 
They circulated a proclamation throughout Judea and Jerusalem that all the exiles should gather at Jerusalem. Whoever did not come within three days would forfeit all his possessions, according to the decision of the leaders and elders, and would be excluded from the assembly of the exiles. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered in Jerusalem within the three days. On the twentieth day of the ninth month, all the people sat in the square at the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have been unfaithful by marrying foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. Therefore make a confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourselves from the surrounding peoples and your foreign wives. Then all the assembly responded with a loud voice, Yes, we will do as you say. But there are many people and it is the rainy season. We don't have the stamina to stay out in the open. This isn't something that can be done in a day or two, for we have rebelled terribly in this matter. Let our leaders represent the entire assembly. Then let all those in our towns who have married foreign women come at appointed times, together with the elders and judges of each town, in order to avert the fierce anger of our God concerning this matter. Only Jonathan son of Ashael and Jehizi son of Tikva opposed this with Meshulam and Shabbatai the Levite supporting them. The exiles did what had been proposed. Ezra the priest selected men who were family leaders, all identified by name to represent their ancestral houses. They convened on the, on the first day of the tenth month to investigate the matter, and by the first day of the first month they had dealt with all the men who had married foreign women. The following were found to have married foreign women from the descendants of the priests. From the descendants of Jeshua, son of Josedach, and his brothers, Mashai, Eliezer, Jarib, and Gedaliah, they pledged to send their wives away, and being guilty, they offered a ram from the flock for their guilt. Hananiah and Zerubiah from Immer's descendants, Masai, Elijah, Shemaiah, Jehiel, and Uziah from Harim's descendants, Elonai, Masai, Ishmael, Nathaniel, Josabad, and Elasah from Pasher's descendants, the Levites, Josabad, Shemai, Keliah, that is Kelata, Pathatha, Judah, and Eliezer, the singers, Elishib, the gatekeeper Shalom, Telim, and Uri, the Israelites, Parosh's descendants, Ramiah, Isaiah, Malkajah, Majam, Eliezer, Makajah, and Benaiah, Elam's descendants, Mataniah, Zachariah, Jehiel, Abdi, Jeremoth, and Elijah, Zatu's descendants, Elanai, Elishib, Mataniah, Jeremoth, Zadab, and Azazah, Babai's descendants, Jehoanan, Hananiah, Zabai, and Athlai, Bani's descendants, Meshulam, Maluch, Adiah, Jashub, Shel, and Jeremoth, Pahath Moab's descendants, Adna, Khalil, Baniah, Masai, Mataniah, Belazul, Binu, and Manasseh, Harim's descendants, Eliezer, Ishjah, Malkajah, Shemaiah, Shimeon, Benjamin, Maluk, and Shemara, Hashim's descendants, Mataniah, Mathatha, Zabad, Elthet, Jemai, Manasseh, and Shimai, Bani's descendants, Madai, Amran, and Yul, Baniah, Bedadai, Shelu, Vaniah, Meramoth, Elishib, Mataniah, Mataniah, Jashu, Bani, Binu, Shemai, Shalamiah, Nathan, Adai, Machnadaibai, Shishai, Shariah, Azarel, Shalamiah, Shemariah, Shalum, Amariah, and Joseph. Nebo's descendants, Jael, Mathathiah, Zabad, Zabina, Jadai, Jewel, and Benaiah. All of these had married foreign women and some of the wives had borne children. 
Then we read Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 1 through to chapter 2 verse 16. The words of Nehemiah son of Hakaliah. During the month of Chislev in the twentieth year when I was in the fortress of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had returned from exile. They said to me, The survivors in the province who returned from the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned down. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, Lord God of heaven, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted corruptly toward you and have not kept the commands, statutes and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the ends of the earth, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I choose to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people. You redeemed them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ears be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and have compassion on him in the presence of this man. At the time I was a king's cupbearer. During the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence, so the king said to me, Why are you sad when you aren't sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, May the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king asked me, What is your request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried, so that I may rebuild it. The king with the queen seated beside him asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time and it pleased the king to send me. We interrupt that part of Nehemiah and read chapter 5 verse 14. Furthermore, from the day King Artaxerxes appointed me to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year until his thirty-second year, twelve years, I and my associates never ate from the food allotted to the governor. And we go back in and read chapter 2, verse 7 to verse 16 to finish today. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates River, so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. And let me have a letter written to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple, fortresses, the city wall, and the home where I will live. The king granted my request, for I was graciously strengthened by my God. I went to the governors of the region west of Euphrates and gave them the king's letter. The king had also sent officers of the infantry and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard that someone had come to seek the well-being of the Israelites, they were greatly displeased. After I arrived in Jerusalem and had been there three days, I got up at night and took a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what my God had laid in my heart to do for Jerusalem. 
The only animal I took was the one I was riding. I went out at night through the valley gate toward the serpent's well and the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but farther down it became too narrow for my animal to go through. So I went up at night by way of the valley and inspected the wall. Then heading back I entered through the valley gate and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, for I had not yet told the Jews, priests, nobles, officials, or the rest of those who would be doing the work. And there we end day 266 and week 38.